This is Bob Cutmore, and here it is, the big conference on the American Revolution in the Mohawk Valley taking place in Canajoharie and Fort Plain. And I've uh, had the opportunity to uh, corral one of the speakers, and his name is Jim Kirby. And uh, I really, uh, tell us a bit about yourself. Okay, be glad to. Um, actually, I'm up from Houston, Texas, where I'm a professor of history at the University of Houston. And I've been there for several years, taught at Rutgers University earlier in my career. And I've spent a lot of time studying the history of this area, and I co-authored a book called Forgotten Allies, The United Indians and the American Revolution. And I'm going to be talking about that uh, today, some of the aspects of that particular book and project, and my interest in the history of the Mohawk Valley, which is, from my point of view, absolutely fascinating. It is, and uh, the Oneidas not joining the, the British cause uh, you know, means, for one thing, or you, t you tell me, I mean, I just have this general sense, they basically stayed here, they have a casino here. That's right, they're still here. Uh, they had some rough times in the 19th and into the early 20th century, they lost a lot of their land, uh, but uh, yes, they were good and faithful and active allies of the American rebels during the revolution. Uh, which meant they really split with the rest of the Confederacy, except some Tuscaroras were on the uh, American side, too. And that put them in a very unusual position of supporting what a majority of the Six Nations felt was really the wrong way to go. They felt the British would do more for them uh, during the Revolution and after the Revolution. As it turned out, it didn't work that way. It didn't work that way for either side because the British in 1783 in the Peace of Paris did nothing to protect the Indians, that is, let's say, the Mohawks, the Senecas, the Cayugas that supported them. And in the end, the Americans really didn't do very much uh, for the Oneidas and the Tuscaroras. So it's not, it's not a real happy story at the end. In fact, the wounds are still evident today among the Six Nations, and uh, the Oneidas sometimes are treated as, well, you're the brothers that went the wrong direction because you really separated from the Confederacy. But all told... Um, it's been a really amazing recovery for the Oneidas. They have a huge uh, uh, resort casino operation called Turning Stone, uh, very close to Rome, New York. Uh, and so there's a, success story, there's a success story there today uh, that uh, has really brought them back. Uh, and there are now major contributors to this area in terms of both the economy and cultural awareness and understanding of the role of Native Americans in American history. Around here, the, the kind of the icon from that era, one of them is Sir William Johnson, who, uh, you know, again, my sort of, what you call it, you know, because I'm, I'm from here, sort of like our favorite son interpretation is that he was key in keeping the Mohawks anyway on the British side, even though he died before the, the war, the Revolutionary War began. What do you think? Well, Sir William was an amazing individual, um, and he really came into this area as a cultural broker, uh, representing British values, and he worked very, very hard to maintain good relations with the uh, Indians, especially with the Mohawks, but he didn't have particularly good relations with the Oneidas, and that's one of the things that made a difference. Um, and I'm going to talk about that a little bit, why that, was, uh, that kind of a split was there uh, later this morning. But what I can tell you is that Sir William also had a very large family, uh, his son, Sir John Johnson, will organize the Royal Greens of the King's Regiment of New York. Um, his nephew, son-in-law, Guy Johnson, will become the Indian agent in this area to replace Sir William. Sir William died in 1774. Uh, and in the end, this family remained loyal to the crown, kept the Mohawks 
I believe uh, it's fair to say, loyal to the Crown. And also he had good relations with, with like, uh, the Senecas. And uh, those are reasons why those factors really do play a role in how these various nations will line themselves up with respect to the revolution. Jim Kirby. What's the name of your book again? Uh, the name of the book is Forgotten Allies, the United Indians and the American Revolution, co-authored with uh, a colleague of mine, Joseph Glatthar. And uh, it was just an adventure to write this book because the sources are very, very difficult to get at. Uh, there's a lot of oral history from the 19th century, a lot of treaty negotiations, all that sort of thing. It's a hard story to put together, but more importantly, it's a very important, significant story to put together. And I've really pleased I was part of that process. And I'm curious how you got involved with them. And you, if I understand correctly, you're not from here. It's just that you, so you see it as an important story. Well, I actually am from northern Ohio in a part of the country where a very well-known figure, Joseph Brandt, was born back in the 1740s. And I began to develop, even as a youngster in Ohio, when we did Ohio history, because there's a lot of Native American in that story, I began to develop this interest. And then I've been involved in other projects uh, uh, with a man by the name of Joseph Bloomfield, who came up in this area uh, as part of the 3rd New Jersey Regiment in 1776. In fact, it was his superior officer, uh, Elias Dayton, who selected the Fort Plains site in 1776. I was involved in uh, uh, publishing uh, Blumfield's memoir. I wrote a biography of Benedict Arnold, and he was all through this area during the campaigning in 1777 and helping to uh, liberate Fort Stanwix, then under pressure from the British coming down from Canada. So I've done a lot of work in the area. I love these stories, and I really think this is such a beautiful part of the country. I just love coming back here and being a part of it. That was Jim Kirby or Jim Kirby Martin. He apparently uses uh, both names in his scholarly work. Uh, Jim Kirby Martin, co-author with Joseph Glathar of Forgotten Allies, the United Indians and the American Revolution. Jim Kirby, a professor at the University of Houston, and he was up in the Mohawk Valley for the big uh, conference put on by the folks at the Fort Plain Museum, the American Revolution in the Mohawk Valley. They say it's their first annual conference. And on a Saturday in early May, the professors and authors and well over 100 people uh, gathered for the program uh, that was held on Saturday at the Arkell Museum, their big conference center in Canajahari. The night before, there were events at the Fort Plain Museum. And then on Sunday, there were bus tours of uh, a number of historic sites in uh, western Montgomery County uh, that relate to the American Revolution, such as uh, Fort Plain and uh, the 1747 Nellis Tavern and uh, Fort Clock and so forth. I'm Bob Cudmore, and you are listening to The Historians, and the uh, segments today all were recorded at the American Revolution in the Mohawk Valley Conference. Uh, in just a moment, we're going to hear from Jack Kelly, author of Band of Giants, the Amateur Soldiers Who Won America's Independence. He's a journalist and novelist, lives in the Hudson Valley. 
Uh, then uh, Kyle Jenks will talk with us for a bit. Uh, it was hard to miss Kyle at the conference. I think there was one uh, gentleman who maybe represented the British side in the revolution. He seemed to be wearing kilts. But Kyle Jenks uh, was uh, really easily noticed. He was in full revolutionary war garb. And uh, we'll talk with Kyle uh, in a few minutes. Uh, Kyle is the producer of Drums Along the Mohawk Outdoor Drama, which will be presented in uh, Mohawk, the Mohawk that's up by uh, the village of uh, Herkimer at the uh, Gelston Estates. That'll take place in the summer. After we hear from Kyle Jenks, a friend of mine, uh, Jackie Murphy, among the many local people interested in history who attended the conference, Jackie, retired Montgomery County historian, a little truth in advertising here, uh, Jackie uh, does love history and does a lot of the research that I use in my columns in the Daily Gazette and also in my books. And then, lo and behold, who should I run into at the uh, conference but John Warren, who is the editor of the New York History blog, uh, which uh, I write for occasionally, and uh, people all over the state do. It's a blog of uh, great interest for uh, historians in New York. Then Don Haggist, who has uh, written a book called The Revolution's Last Men, The Soldiers Behind the Photographs. Uh, Don has uh, looked into this uh, what happened in the as the Civil War was about to start, maybe it had started already, a photographer went around and tried to photograph as many living Revolutionary War veterans as possible. Uh, one of them photographed, actually served at Fort Plain in uh, Montgomery County, New York. So Don Haggist is on. Uh, he's from Rhode Island, an author and historian. And then uh, we'll conclude uh, the podcast with Brian Mack, of the Fort Plain Museum, one of the organizers of the American Revolution in the Mohawk Valley Conference. This is Bob Cudmore, and we're in Canajahari, the beautiful uh, Arkell uh, Museum and uh, Canajahari Public Library, which is the scene of uh, one of the uh, gathering points for this uh, weekend conference on the uh, American Revolution and uh, the Mohawk Valley. We're talking with uh, author Jack Kelly. Uh, how you doing, Jack? Um, I'm a good, good Bob. Uh, it's a beautiful day here, and it's, uh, the conference is going very well, I think. Oh, I would say. I mean, there's over well over 100 people, maybe 150 people attending. Uh, the book that you're going to uh, talk about uh, is Band of Giants, the American Soldiers Who Won America's Independence. Uh, again, we're talking with Jack Kelly. Uh, it seems to me what you're, from what you were telling me, what you do is focus attention on American soldiers we haven't heard about, uh, you know, say lower rank than uh, George Washington. Yes, yeah, so that's exactly right. And it really the origin of the idea for the book uh, came from uh, um, my childhood. I grew up in Wayne County, which is up near Rochester, a little farther up uh, uh, to the west of here. Uh, and all the time I was growing up, there was never any mention of Anthony Wayne. There was never an Anthony Wayne day. There was never, uh, we didn't have a statue of Anthony Wayne. And uh, so I began to think, you know, there's 14 Wayne counties across the country named for Mad Anthony Wayne. We never learned why Mad Anthony Wayne was mad. <laughs> and so I thought there's some, some of these lesser known but fascinating characters from the American Revolution, uh, it'd be worth looking into them. And I tried to put their story not as a, as a series of mini biographies, but in the context of a, a narrative of the war itself. So it was a, it was a challenge, but I think it, uh, the reaction to the book has been very uh, encouraging for me. 
Since he started you on the quest, can you tell us more about Matt Anthony Wayne? Well, uh, Matt Anthony Wayne was from Pennsylvania. He uh, was a uh, he was sometimes referred to as the Patton of the Revolution. He was very uh, a very um, aggressive commander, but careful. Um, he'd always loved war from uh, childhood, but he'd never been in the army. He was uh, the actual subtitle of my book is the amateur soldier. So. Uh, many of the American commanders had no background in the military, and they had to learn their trade as they went along, and he was one of them. Uh, he, he had actually one of the nicknames. There was a lot of nicknames that were applied later, uh, Granny Gates or Gentleman Johnny Burgoyne. But Matt Anthony Wayne was called Matt Anthony even during the war. Because? Uh, he was uh, because of his aggressiveness. Uh, not so much they didn't know. Nobody thought he was insane, but they just thought, you know, he's a he's a guy that you don't want to push him too far because he'll, um, you know, he'll attack. And he had some pretty spectacular battles that he was involved in, uh, particularly down in Virginia. He was fighting with uh, Lafayette in Virginia later in the war, um, and he was a he was a brilliant commander. And uh, thank you for pointing out. I, I, I mistook that in your subtitle, the Band of Giants, the Amateur Soldiers Who Won America's Independence. So these were guys that, well, I remember they, after the war, did they not uh, form this society called the, the Society of Cincinnatus yes. after the Roman um, general or dictator who, right after the war, went back to his farm? Yeah, and the, of course, George Washington was the uh, the prime example of that. They said, you go back to your vine and your fig tree. And um, the um, idea was you were a citizen first and a soldier second, and you were not a professional uh, military man. That, of course, worked to, to the disadvantage of, of the Continental Army for much of the war because they had to learn their trade as they were going along, and they had to develop the, the structure of an army. They had a you know, officer class, they had a, had a supply system. They had none of that when the war began. What about Montgomery, for whom our county was named? But was he one of these amateur soldiers? He was, or was he more a professional? Uh, Richard Montgomery was actually uh, the exception to that. One of the few exceptions. Uh, Horatio Gates was another one that had been in the British Army before the war. Uh, I have a particular affinity for Richard Montgomery because I live now uh, near Rhinebeck, which is where he was from. He'd come over from England, settled there. He he wanted to be a farmer. When the war broke out, he'd only been in America for two years at that point. He thought it was his duty to sign up. He was one of the most experienced officers to uh, to volunteer. They immediately made him a brigadier general, and they sent him up to invade Canada. And unfortunately, he was killed in the first year of the war uh, trying to take storm the walls of Quebec City, which if he had succeeded, unfortunately he didn't. And if he had succeeded, it could have ended the war right there. But... Um, it was um, seven more years of struggle before they actually defeated the British. Well, you've told us about uh, Wayne and uh, talked about Montgomery. Uh, I don't want to press my attention here, but just, can you just give us just one more story? Who's another? I mean, I, I was going to put it this way. I mean, who do you think is the most significant? Maybe you've mentioned them already uh, in, in this group of, uh, of, Amer of amateur soldiers. Uh, I'd have to say that uh, the, the most surprising and the most uh, important uh, general in that category was Henry Knox. Uh, he had started out as, as a bookseller in Boston before the war, had no uh, direct military experience. He was interested in uh, artillery, and he 
because he ran a bookstore, he could read his own books, which were, he studied up in artillery. He joined the uh, Continental Army early in the war. He almost immediately became one of Washington's key advisors and was, throughout the war, was was a key advisor to Washington, ran the entire um, artillery uh, division of the Continental Army, and when he started out, he was only 25. Really? And you said Henry Knox. Henry Knox. Did, did, Knoxville, Tennessee, and ah. yeah. Did he have to do somewhat with the uh, some of the battles around Boston, or? Yes, he he was uh, his he lived in Boston. He'd grown up in Boston, and he had his bookstore there. And when the British were were besieged in Boston in 1775, after the Lexington Concord, uh, he left with his wife, snuck out of the city, joined the. Um, the, the militia units that were there, and when Washington arrived, uh, he he saw this talent in Knox and made him a, 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 a even despite his young age, he made him a a, a colonel in the, in the uh, artillery. And I'll press my luck one more time. Did he end up using the weaponry that they took from the old or from Fort Ticonderoga? Yeah, and it was Henry Knox who brought the the guns from Ticonderoga to Boston. He had to find a way to get them overland down there. So that was a, one of his big achievements. Was One of the sessions is starting. I thank you very much, Jack Kelly, for joining us. Band of Giants, the amateur soldiers who won America's independence. Thank you very much. All right, thank you, Bob. Bob Cudmore again at the American Revolution and the Mohawk Valley Conference. And I see a familiar face, and he's the only person in the room that looks Revolutionary War-ish. And that's Kyle Jenks in the full regalia from the 18th century. How are you doing, Kyle? I'm doing wonderful. It's really uh, a pleasure to be here and see the very large crowd um, gathered here at the Arkell Museum. Why do you uh, come uh, attired as you are, you know, as a revolutionary era soldier? Well, one is it is my personal passion for uh, the time period and also to share with the crowd here that seems to be of international uh, I saw a license plate out in the parking lot from Canada, so I've also saw one from Massachusetts. So I think people have come from far and wide, is to um, help the Fort Plain Museum uh, uh, promote the Mohawk Valley's Revolutionary War history and the, the part that my outdoor dr historical drama plays in that, which is Drums Along the Mohawk Outdoor Drama. Yes, well, let's talk more about that, Drums Along the Mohawk Outdoor Drama. Is it uh, scheduled again, or how, how are things going? Things are going great. Uh, we have auditions uh, set for May 18th and May 19th. We're going to repeat our four-performance schedule that we had last year, which will be the first two weekends in August, Saturday and Sunday, August 1st, followed by Saturday and Sunday, August 8th and 9th. And it takes place uh, in the town of Mo or up in, uh, in the Herkimer area, as I recall. Yes, that's true. It's actually in Mohawk, New York, uh, up at Gelson Castle Estate. The street address is 980 Robinson Road. So you can Google that and find out exactly where it is. It's uh, right on the way to Cooperstown. So if you want to combine a trip to Cooperstown, it's very uh, convenient to do that. All right. Well, best of luck, Kyle. Anything else you wanted to bring up? Well, this, uh, the speaker here uh, was talking about the Saratoga campaign, and um, they have a very, really highly regarded set of speakers here. So um, encourage people to, you know, touch base with the Fort Plain Museum and the Mohawk Country Organization. Uh, and one of the questions was, uh, what happened with the diversionary campaign of John Burgoyne in 1777? And that is exactly what Drums Along the Mohawk addresses, is that diversionary campaign, not the main forces coming down from Canada with Burgoyne himself, 
but the diversionary force that he sent Barry St. Lejeune out to capture Fort Schuyler, uh, we know it now as Fort Stanwix out in Rome, New York, but it was uh, then called Fort Schuyler, named in honor of General Philip Schuyler, who was in charge of the Northern Campaign at the time. Okay, well, Kyle Jenks, drums along the Mohawk outdoor drama. Best of luck to you this year. I appreciate it very much. Great to see you, Bob. We're here at the Arkell Museum at this conference on the American Revolution, and lo and behold, who's here? My good friend, Jackie Murphy. Jacqueline Murphy, a retired Montgomery County historian. Why do you like history? I just find there's so many uh, little points that have to be investigated. I love research. And that's the gentleman just now talked about how wrong uh, Drums Along the Mohawk was depicting the Indians, and, and that's about it. And I know that you like to do research because you do research to help me a lot. I mean, in fact, it occurs to me that it's almost like we have a little band of history detectives going out there now. That's right. It's the, the thrill of the hunt, and you'll find something. Oh, I can't wait to show this to Bob. <laughs> like we've worked on Ed Sullivan and his Amsterdam roots, and Nicholas Young, who came from Amsterdam, and what he was involved in baseball, right? Uh, yes, uh, I first read about it through David Petrusa and uh, was fascinated that not very many people know what an important job he did in the beginning of baseball to get it organized. Apparently he headed the National League. Correct, correct. Well, Jackie, thank you very much. Thank you, Bob. Who has uh, arrived at the American Revolution and the Mohawk Valley Conference but John Warren of the New York History Blog, New York State Writers Institute. Do you go to a lot of programs like this? I try to go to as many as I can. Uh, I live in the Adirondacks, so it's a, sometimes a stretch to get, but, but uh, to come down here to the Mohawk Valley is you know, just a treat. It's a great drive. Yeah, and th this is really great. I mean, you know, being kind of a local person, I live around here, uh, I think they've done a wonderful job. I think it, it's really a great thing when historians come together to talk about their local area and their region, and, uh, you know, I... I I hope that uh, this kind of thing can be replicated, you know, around the state. That'd be, that'd be uh, something I would look forward to. Yeah, on the New York History blog, there's been quite a bit of chatter about that, do doing programs like this. Would you agree? Or? Yeah, I mean, or we have a lot of uh, a lot of folks in different regions who are who are uh, beginning to organize their their historians locally and uh, meeting regularly. And some, of course, have met regularly for a long time, but but a lot haven't. And uh, there's really a, a lot, a lot of more movement on uh, in the local history front. Tell us about the New York History Blog. What is it? Well, it's a daily uh, news uh, website about the uh, history community, um, historic preservation, um, historic sites, and advocacy, and uh, uh, a lot of we have a variety of writers. About 30 different people probably chime in over over the course of a month to to um, contribute. From, from areas where they, you know, uh, that they're familiar with. Plus, we have a lot of announcements at conferences and events and uh, exhibits, and uh, it's it's really a lot of latest latest news every day. Uh, so it's it's uh, it's we try to be a place where historians can land, you know, and and, and keep up the date on what's going on. And I'm glad that uh, you you give the the historians podcast a lot of coverage. I, I'm happy to do it. It's it's a great podcast, and uh, I'm glad you you've been uh, carrying it on. And, uh, and I look forward to many uh, more shows. Okay. And I know that you're involved in a number of projects. Is there anything else you'd like to talk about? Um, 
I well, I I have uh, a couple of projects. Right now, I'm working on a, a comprehensive map of the Adirondack region. It's uh, kind of an outgrowth of my work at Adirondack Almanac, which is a uh, uh, a uh, news magazine about the Adirondacks. So uh, it's keeping me busy. Well, John Warren, thanks very much. Thank you, Bob. And at the uh, conference on the American Revolution in the Mohawk Valley, Don Haggist. Haggist, yeah. Haggist. Uh, I remember talking to you about uh, the Revolution's Last Men. I see you have a new book. Yeah, well, the new book is The Revolution's Last Men. It, it's my new take on an old book. The, the book called The Last Men of the Revolution was published in 1864. It's remained extremely popular because it has photographs of men who served in the American Revolution, who lived long enough to be in the age of photography. But the biographical information in that 1864 book is not particularly accurate, and there's a lot of reasons for that. So now my new book takes a close examination of the original book and presents the actual lives of these men who lived long enough to be photographed and talks about why the material published in 1864 is so different from the real story. And one of those men uh, served at Fort Plain, apparently. That's exactly right, yes. Yeah, Samuel Downing was right here at Fort Plain, and it's a particularly great example because he's a rare case where we can document a specific soldier being at a specific location instead of just knowing that his regiment was there, so he was probably there. We know that Samuel Downing was at Fort Plain. Well, Don Haggis, I thank you very much. Sure, you're very welcome. And we're talking with one of the principal organizers of the, this big event. Quite a success. Yes, very. We're very happy with it. Uh, we couldn't be more thrilled. Um, it's just great to get the history out there. People are really interested in it, and I couldn't be more happier. So, And where do these folks come from? I mean, I've seen a lot of people that I know from this area, but yeah, have, there are others. Right? Yeah, we have several from Canada. We have a, a gentleman from California, a lady from Colorado, a couple of people from Texas, uh, all counties in New York State, New Jersey, um, uh, Rhode Island. So, yeah, they're coming from all over. We couldn't be more happy. Yeah. It, bringing a lot of attention to the area as a site of the important in the American Revolution. Yes, definitely. It's uh, great that these people are just from all over that are into it. Uh, the Mohawk Valley, um, you know, a lot doesn't really get written on it, and it's good that these people are just coming and learning about it now and they'll actually see and put the Mohawk Valley back on the map that we're hoping. Now, the program we're at right now is at the Arkell Museum in Canajahari to hold the throngs. Yes. Uh, but uh, it, it's really, uh, this whole uh, event has been organized by you and Norm Boland and the other folks at the Fort Plain Museum, correct? Yes, correct. Yep, us at the Fort Plain Museum took initiative just to get this going. And, we're, you know, we had a lot of help with volunteers, uh, the Friends of Fort Plain, uh, our other board members, um, just people donating time, the authors, and even and then 70 attendees come. So, yeah, it's been a good, really, uh, conglomerate of people that have made this a great success. Sorry to put you on the spot, but what's the, in the nutshell, what was Fort Plain in the American Revolution? Well, Fort Plain, it was, it started off as like a stockaded uh, refugees for like, you know, if there was an attack, they would have a place to run to. And then it really became a prominent fort in 1780 after the August 2nd raid on Canajahari. And then after that, when uh, General Van Rensselaer, they chased John Johnson during the 1780 raids. And then he established that as his headquarters. But then Johnson was able to escape. They court-marched him. Then there was just the whole, there's a long story I could go on and on. It's your pro. Yeah. And it's not the only story. Like, it's part of this conference. You're having a bus tour. What, seven sites you're going to? Yeah, or seven, yeah seven, eight different historic sites, plus some non, like, you know, like the battlefields, uh, Stone Arabia and, and uh, Clocks Battlefield, which will be drive-bys, but we're going to provide a history as we're driving by. And, 
And stuff, yeah, but yeah, eight sites, uh, Fort Clock, uh, uh, Nellis Tavern, um, uh, Van Allison Home, uh, and I apologize if I leave any out, I just can't think, but yeah, so yeah, there's several sites, and it's all like really in a, like a 12-mile radius in western Montgomery County, so... Brian Mack, Fort Plain Museum. Thanks very much. All right. Thank you, Bob. I want to thank all the guests who appeared on this edition of the Historian's Podcast. The podcast was recorded at the Arkell Museum in Harry on a Saturday in early May, the first annual American Revolution in the Mohawk Valley Conference. Especially want to thank Brian Mack and Norm Bolin of the Fort Plain Museum. Uh, they were the lead organizers for this event, which I think will uh, mean a lot for the future of history, uh, history's uh, popularity, and uh, history as a form of, uh, dare we say, economic development in the Mohawk Valley. Quoting from some of their literature, Montgomery County is home to more colonial-era historic sites than any county in New York State. Seven Revolutionary War period attractions in the Canajoharie, Fort Plain, St. Johnsville area alone. That's the Historian's Podcast. I'm Bob Cudmore.